Our speaker today is Mr. Colin Hansen. Colin uh, lives in Birmingham. He is the editor of a uh, fantastic uh, website uh, called the Gospel Coalition. It's the gospelcoalition.org. And uh, just really want to commend that to you. Lots and lots of uh, gospel voices, really, and from across different denominations, uh, but really uh, focusing, coming together uh, on that, that central gospel message. Uh, and Colin will uh, bring that to us today. He and his wife, Lauren, have been married for 10 years. She's a Mountain Brook native and brought a uh, farm boy from South Dakota uh, right here to, to Birmingham. Colin will preach to us after we sing verses 1 and 2 of hymn number 562. Lord God, you have equipped us with the armor of your spirit. Lord, send us here today ready to take your gospel wherever it needs to go in all the world. Amen. You may be seated. It is a privilege to be here since since moving to Mountain Brook and, and being a part of the Birmingham community in the last uh, six months or so. Uh, we felt my wife and I have felt very welcomed, very appreciated, um, and uh, this church Advent has been a, a special part of that. So I'm thankful for those of you part of this congregation and many others I haven't yet to meet. I look forward to that opportunity as the Lord provides in the years to come. Um, in, the after, in the moment that we have in this afternoon to be able to come together and look at God's Word together, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. Whether or not you have an opportunity to flip there and follow along, or whether or not you've heard this many times, it may well be familiar to you. These are the Beatitudes of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll go ahead and read them. Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. Lord Jesus teaches us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask a question. What makes Jesus interesting after all these years? 2,000 years after he delivered this teaching, these Beatitudes. Our church buildings, our rituals, our morals even, all of it can go as far as the broader culture is concerned when it comes to the church. But everyone, it seems, they still want a piece of Jesus. We all want Jesus on our side. We want Jesus to love what we love and to hate What we hate. Here's the thing about Jesus though. Do you ever notice the confusion that followed Jesus wherever he went? I mean, even his disciples, half the time we read about them in the Gospels, the disciples are looking at each other saying, Do you know what he, I, what in the world? 
What is this guy talking about? I don't have any idea. Jesus confounded even those closest disciples. Because Jesus resists all our attempts. Jesus resists all of our attempts to domesticate him for our personal agenda. Jesus alone sets the agenda. He shows us the way. He tells us the truth. He gives us eternal life. The thing about Jesus, though, his story, his teachings, Jesus' story is one that doesn't make sense. Jesus' story doesn't make sense until the credits roll. It's only when you know the end of Jesus' life that you understand the beginning, that you understand these beatitudes. Only when you know how Jesus died, how he conquered death and his resurrection, can you understand what he taught and why he taught it. In Lent, as we come together these 40 days leading up to Easter, we anticipate the climactic events of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. Through his sacrifice, we who believe enjoy God's blessing, that is, his divine favor and his approval of us. Formerly, you and I were cursed, not blessed. We were cursed, we were cut off, we were far from God because of our sins. But now, not by your work, not by my work, not by any work, but Jesus Christ alone, do we have peace with God and peace with one another. That is the blessed life that Jesus teaches us here in his Beatitudes. The blessed life of shalom, of peace, of wholeness, of forgiveness, of love, and of delight. Jesus' Beatitudes, these words of blessing, they comfort us, they challenge us, and I would say they also sometimes confuse us. Jesus stays interesting to us today, no matter what your religious background, no matter what your denomination no matter whether you've had a good experience or a bad experience in church, Jesus still interests us today because He holds together. He holds together what we want to separate. He tells us to expect peace and persecution. Mercy, but also mourning. You and I, we pick and choose how we want to be blessed. But Jesus, He blesses the life that we want to curse. And He blesses those who we want, sometimes want to curse. The kingdom of heaven that came with Jesus Christ, it doesn't look like the kingdoms that you and I so often want to build for ourselves on this earth. You see, we, we think of happiness The route to happiness is going through our control. That if we only get what we want, or sometimes we would even claim what we deserve, only then will we be blessed. But Jesus tells a whole different story. tells a whole different story that turns our world upside down. He says we are blessed when we seek first the kingdom of heaven. So, in the remaining minutes, let's look a little bit more closely at these Beatitudes, this blessed life that Jesus wants us to enjoy. First thing you need to notice about these Beatitudes, 
It's a fundamental confusion. When I listen to them, what, how did you respond? Keep in mind, these are not requirements. This is not a law that's given down by Jesus. These are not works that he's asking us to do. These are blessings that we receive because we have a loving Father in heaven. Right away we see in verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3, we see that God blesses, as I mentioned before, God blesses the life that we want to curse. These poor in spirit, which you may be familiar with, they may also have been very well poor in pocketbook. Jesus certainly was. The fishermen he called to himself were. But these poor in spirit, they know one thing. They know there is no true, lasting security in anything but God. They depend solely on God. It's Beatitudes, you may know if you keep flipping through Matthew, they're beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, this famous teaching from Jesus. The whole Sermon on the Mount is meant to show us what the blessed life looks like, the life of shalom that comes to us only when we follow God's way, only when we seek first His kingdom, not our kingdoms. Jesus explains that there is no security in any other path, no route to the good life through any other way but the one that He shows through His own life. He shows us, for example, the futility of of finding security in doing the right things. He tells us in chapter 5, verse 20, that only those of us whose righteousness, whose right living surpasses that of the Pharisees, only those see the kingdom of heaven. That's not possible. None of us could ever outdo in our works the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's his point. We trust in Jesus alone. He tells us there is no security to be found in possessions. He reminds us what we all know, what is so obvious with the possessions we have now. They rot. They rust, they break, we fix, they break again, we fix again. On and on it goes. He tells us these possessions, we can be attached to them, or we can be attached to the king. We just can't be attached to both. There's no security in our possessions, he tells us in chapter 6, 19 to 21. He tells us also, though, there is no security in knowledge, in knowing all of the right things. He says, look again at the Pharisees. Look at their lives. They know everything about God. They know all about righteousness. There's just one problem. They don't do it. They know it. They don't do it. There's no security in our knowledge. There is no security in performing miracles, even on the other end of the spectrum. Because Jesus knows. He pierces through this facade and He knows our motives. He knows us intimately. He knows us as we truly are. He knows those motives and He will judge them. He will judge them because He will show us their futility. That the only true motive comes out of grace. Comes because He first loved us. So, in light of all the ways that we cannot find true security in this world, we're not blessed through doing the right things. We're not blessed in having the right things. We're not blessed by knowing the right things. What's left? Who then among us can be blessed? The common theme of all of these beatitudes is humility. Humility is the key to spirituality. 
We see this in chapter 5, verse 5, this very famous passage. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What comes to mind for you when you're thinking about the meek? If you're like me, probably your natural inclination is to think somebody who's passive, weak, pathetic, not somebody we really want to associate with ourselves or be like. They may, in fact, the meek could have been victims of injustice, of injustice. Here's the thing about the meek. They are anything but cowards. The meek are anything but cowards, anything but weak. The meek are those who tremble at God's word alone. And they find no comfort or security in anything or anyone but God because there is no security or comfort to be found lasting comfort and security but God. When you think of these meek going forward, when you, when you think, what is Jesus trying to get at? Think of the prophets. They're the example that Jesus cites at the end of the Beatitudes. Think about the prophets. When you think of them, you may very well realize the prophets did not appear successful in the world's eyes. They did not appear to have the sort of security that the world tells us to seek. But then again, neither did Jesus. Jesus was a failure, at least in the world's eyes. He didn't have the security. He didn't have a place to lay his head. But the prophets knew that this life is not the end of the story. They did receive their reward in the long run as did Jesus when he claimed his inheritance after his resurrection. The prophets, like Jesus, the great teacher of this passage, they look beyond the horizons of today, beyond their immediate circumstances. And what did they see when they looked beyond today, beyond what was pressing in on them? They saw, they saw the kingdom of heaven. So we see the prophets, they were not cowards. They were not weak But they were humble. And humility is the key to blessing. So is patience. So is faith. All these virtues commended by Jesus as life, as the blessed life. In order to enjoy, this may be helpful, in order to enjoy God's blessings today, we need to be able to trust Him for tomorrow, like Jesus did, like the prophets did This is hard, easier said than done. Easy to say from a pulpit, hard to do when I step down. Easy for you to listen to here, hard to do when you step out those doors. We're pressed on all fronts to live in the here to now, to live for today without a mind for tomorrow. It isn't that. Think with me about your own life. As I think about my own. Isn't that a failure to look beyond these circumstances today and look to Jesus for how he can bless us Tomorrow, into today, isn't this failure to look beyond these circumstances the root of all our sin? Maybe not all of our sin, but a lot of it. We get angry because we don't trust God to judge. We take it into our own hands. We get impatient because we don't trust God to act on our behalf. We get bitter because we don't trust that God wants what's best for us. You know as well as I do what happens when we live this way. What do we get for all our anger? What do we get for our impatience? What do we get for our bitterness? 
Do we get blessing? Do you enjoy blessing? These behaviors. Do you get the life of shalom? Do you live at peace with God and your neighbors? Do you have peace? Sometimes, I think when we hear these Beatitudes, we think of Jesus' teaching as unrealistic. Who can live up to this? As idealistic, pie in the sky, unattainable. Is that really the case? Really? Think about your own life. Do you know a better way to blessing? Do you know a better way to finding security, to finding peace with God, to living at peace with your loved ones and with your neighbors? Do you have a better agenda than humility and patience and trust? Trust me, I've tried it. I've tried the other way. It does not lead to blessing. I don't think it leads to blessing for you either. Jesus, in his Beatitudes, he wants us to find peace. And he wants us to find lasting joy in this world and in the next. And here in these Beatitudes, he's told us who will be blessed and why. He tells you, if you hunger for righteousness, you will be full. He will never fail to answer that prayer for you. If you ask for a pure heart, Jesus tells you here, you will see God. You will see God. But you need Him. You need to be able to trust Him because of what He's done for you on the cross, because of how He's triumphed over death and His resurrection. You need to be able to trust Him to look beyond today, to look beyond whatever you're going through right now at home, at work, or otherwise, beyond whatever hurt you've caused, beyond whatever wrong you've done. In order, again, to enjoy God's blessing, we need to trust Him for tomorrow. Let me close here by looking at another passage. This helps us to understand what Jesus is getting at in these Beatitudes. According to Luke 4, Luke's Gospel, Jesus began his teaching ministry in the synagogues, in his hometown of Nazareth, where he was rejected as a prophet. He opened the scroll to Isaiah and read these famous words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus said. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. After teaching these things, Jesus sat down and said, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, completely fulfilled. Now is the year of the Lord's favor because Jesus has come. You and I, if we believe in Jesus, we belong to the kingdom of heaven now because we belong to Jesus. We may still be poor. We may still be meek. We may still be reviled, slandered, persecuted, and all the rest. But so was Jesus. So was Jesus. And he made peace and showed mercy to his enemies. You and I. You and I were his enemies before he made peace with us. But now we're blessed because Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead. Now we can go forth from here and we can bless others by showing them mercy, by making peace, by doing good to those who wish us evil. This is the only way of blessing. 
Don't assume that the world will thank you for this behavior any more than it thanked Jesus for this behavior. You'll confuse a lot of people, especially if you've experienced that joy of a life that's been transformed by Jesus. You'll confuse these longtime friends. But Jesus confused his friends too. You will enjoy his reward in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you call us to enjoy this life of blessing. But God, you don't just call it. You made for us a way of blessing. God, help us to find this peace and lasting joy, this security that comes only from you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.